This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. All right. Get your Bibles out, if you will, and open them. I am the reader today, so we will go to Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say to you not to eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man And his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed. More than all the animals, domestic and wild, you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Thank you. Come on, give the Lord a hand for the word. You may be seated. Thank you for being here today. It's an honor to have you. We're in the middle of a series called He Healed My Heart. And it's just been me trying to share um, how I have tried to reconcile things in my life with who God is. And when the two don't meet up, what happens When people tell me God is this, but he doesn't seem to be that, or God can, but I don't feel like he's doing it for me, and I've been trying to do that. So let's jump in. This is a part two, so I'm going to try to get everybody back on the plane without rehashing last week, Uh, but I think this one slide will kind of get us all together. It says, the nature of my humanity makes it easier for me. This is where we kind of ended last week, talking about the faithfulness of God. To magnify my weakness while questioning his faithfulness. In other words, it's, it's in the place of my struggle 
when life's not going the way I want it to go, when I don't feel like God has answered the prayer that I've prayed. It's in that moment, if I'm not careful, that that weakness will redefine who God is. And God becomes my experiences rather than God being God of who He is. He becomes God of what I think He is. So my weakness redefines His nature. They tell me He's a healer in the Bible. The preacher said He's a healer. My mom said He's a healer. I prayed. I didn't get healed. I don't guess God is a healer. In other words... His nature didn't meet my experience and so rather than trying to answer that because it's just too hard of a question, I just bring God down to me and say, well, he probably doesn't heal. At least he didn't heal me. Well, they told me God was a protector. If God is a protector, why did my uncle molest me? Where was God when I needed him to protect me? Therefore, God must not be a protector. And rather than trying to understand what happened I bring God down to me and I define God based on He probably doesn't protect. At least He didn't protect me. God told me that I could pray for anything and I prayed that God would let my parents stay together but my dad left my mom anyway and they always told me that I could ask and it would be given and that I could pray to Jesus and He would answer my prayers. I did. My dad left my mom anyway. I bring God down to my humanity and say God must not answer prayer. It's just the normal way we as humans try to understand this being called God. It's just almost too mentally hard for me to try to define God within His Godness. The easiest is to define Him with my humanity. Well, all the elders of the church said if I could pray, my wife wouldn't leave me. My wife wouldn't divorce me. And and I did everything they told me to do and she left me anyway. Therefore, I can't really trust God. Yeah, I just forget it. It was probably all fake anyway. That's what I mean by my weakness makes it more powerful than His faithfulness. Because I'll be honest, it just doesn't feel like God is faithful when I'm burying the person I love. It doesn't feel like He's faithful when my wife leaves me for another man doesn't feel like he's faithful when my uncle molests me. It doesn't feel like he's faithful when I got fired from my job. It doesn't feel like he's faithful when my kid is an addict and God's not saving them. It doesn't feel like he's faithful when my husband stays addicted to porn. And that's kind of where we got to last week. Here was our ending scripture. Jesus hanging on the cross. It says, at noon, darkness fell. And what we alluded to last week is how quickly life can turn the tables. You go from noon, sun is shining, to immediately it's dark. That usually happens on I-285. Everything's going well and then you hit 285 and it's immediate, you know, middle fingers in the air. I need a pack of cigarettes to get me through this hell. All hell just broke loose on me. It's darkness fell. It's when the doctor said you had cancer. It's when the wife said she didn't love you anymore. It's when the doctor told you your child's not coming through this one. It's when you got fired. It's when your husband said, I just don't think I can do this anymore. It's when your child called and said that they were another gender, a different sex. and It's when you found out they were an addict. It's when you found out... It's that darkness. It's when it hits all of us. I wish it didn't. I wish we 
that we were not in a place to where darkness could throat punch us at the, at the most weird time. For me, it was a phone call in May 19th that uh, my wife was dead, killed by a drunk driver. For Robin, it was a phone call that said our child had osteogenesis imperfecto, a rare bone disease. For us as a couple, it was when she got the phone call that you, the spot we found was cancer. So I feel very certain I know what it feels like when you're just strolling through a day and then darkness comes. For my mother and father, it was a phone call in Orlando that said your son is in an automobile accident he's probably not going to live. And darkness overwhelms you. And you have that moment of where is God? I thought God. Why God? When God? How did this happen, God? All those questions because the, the likelihood of humanity is always to question divinity. It's how we try to understand Him. Everybody in the room, myself included, have probably had the why God, the why me, why not me, what happened. We're trying to understand His bigness. And, and in our shallowness of our humanity to understand the bigness of His divinity, we just can't understand if He's so good, then why the bad stuff? If He's a healer, then why sickness? And if He promised me, then why did He lie? That's normal. There's nothing wrong with it. I think it's part of working out your faith. It's part of the journey called Christianity. It's not all a bed of roses. It's learning, and I use this scripture because I feel like it really sums up my thought that this bottom line is Jesus hanging on the cross. And on the left side of the quotation is this moment where he recognizes God is part of the equation. Here's what's so weird about this. is Jesus, who is the Son of God in the flesh, feeling abandoned by God. So it's God feeling like God abandoned God. That's a powerful abandonment. When you are the Son of God hanging on a cross, but God the Son feels like God the Father abandoned God the Son. God abandoned God in the darkest moment. That has to be a deep hurt. It has to be a deep hurt when you feel like your father abandoned you when you needed him the most. And Jesus, in his humanity, from the blue to the left to the red to the right, he sums up what it's like for all of us who get these physical bodies down here. It's those moments where I'm down here and I'm like, I do love Jesus. I, I want to do what he wants me to do, but, but I just have so many questions. Why won't you do what I need you to do? Why did you abandon me? Why did my father, why did my mother, why did you, God? And so you don't feel bad. I mean, you know, we don't feel like that we're worse off. Jesus himself was there. Jesus himself questioned, where was my daddy when I needed him the most? Why am I here? He understands the pain of humanity. That's the beauty of Jesus is he understands when, when weakness hits us that we can feel as if it's an accusation against God himself. Your baby's this. Your, 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 your diagnosis is that. And, and that moment of I feel this is just not fair. That would be my, if you know, I was writing a version I would probably use my own interpretation. My God, life's not fair. Because it, it doesn't feel fair. Especially when he's hanging there and he's perfected and there's no sin in him and he doesn't deserve one thing. And yet it hits you anyway. 
Because, you know, in our humanity, we all feel like bad people might deserve it, but not us good people. Not those of us that are really trying. Those of us that are trying to put our best foot forward. We don't like it when weakness and hurts and pains and disappointments and tragedies and sicknesses hit us. And again, to get us all on the same plane before we get up to cruising altitude, the, the thought of the moment is how easy it is for my weakness to redefine who he is. And the moment you redefine who he is and you bring his divinity to the understanding of your humanity, you have dumbed down the creator to a level of having no power at all. I'll, I'll just say this. As much as I think we study, right? Like we study to know God. If you're a Christian, you study the Bible, try to know God. I just don't think we'll ever know him to his fullness. I think that's why he's God because... You feel like you get anybody old enough in your fate to feel like you got a chunk of revelation, and when you got it, it's like, oh my God, he's this big, and then you realize ten years later, you're still learning about him. My parents are in their eighties. There's people in here, I'm sure, in their eighties that would wave and say, yeah, the older I get, I learn more and more and more his multifaceted nature. What I thought I knew about him in my 20s when I was so passionate, I'm 80 now and he's so much bigger. And even if you're here another 10 or 15 years, by the time you get to your deathbed, he'll even be bigger. But in the battle we call life, there is the weakness of, I just don't understand God. Why, 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 and why? I'm going to teach on this in the months ahead of why does God let bad things happen? But the reality is, let's just parse it out quickly, get you to think about it. If God stops bad stuff, then Jesus won't die because he's a good, perfected guy that's getting murdered and it's not worthy of him. But if he stops Jesus, he's got to go all the way back and stop Adam from sinning. So he stops Adam. Well, if he stops Adam from the bad that happened to him, he's got to stop the devil. And if he stops the devil, none of this happens anyway. You're here today. To meet a faithful God even in the midst of bad things that happen. Here's what we landed on last week and it's hard. The thought, it's just not about you anyway. When you make life about you and you try to define God within your experiences and your reason and your logic, you will do it. Um, you can. You can define God within your experiences but what you end up with is a God that's like a God in a box. You've dumbed him down to your understanding. And as long as he pleases you, he's God. But the moment he doesn't, you're done. And that's a scary place. But when you land on, it's just not about me. It's more about understanding him rather than making him understand me. Here is what Jesus prayed. I don't know how he prayed this prayer. I try. I think I get there sometimes. Like I feel like I'm there. Jesus shouted. So in other words, while he's there, I feel abandoned by God, he shouts. In other words, there's something in him while his thoughts, while his feelings, while his pain is bleeding out. He's, he's being mocked by the onlookers and in that moment of his pain, uh, you know, I just, his thoughts are... This is, is this not even fair? God has left you high and dry. This is not going to be worth it, that abandonment thoughts. He has to shout. Sometimes you just got to 
go past what you feel and shout the truth anyway. And so in a moment of pain, he shouts, Father, I entrust my spirit to your hands. Now, can you imagine if you're in that moment, you're his mother and you're watching your son bleed out to death. He's going for his last breath. He's down to his final statements on earth. You're going to hear your son say seven final things as he bleeds out in front of you. You've raised him. You want to help him, but you can't. The soldiers won't let mama come and nurse him. And in that moment, he shouts, Father! And I'm sure mom's like, oh God, I don't like to see him that way. And then she hears, I entrust me to you. And in a moment of unfairness, in a moment of pain, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of darkness, in a moment of, I wish I didn't have to go this way, Jesus enlightens us to the power of humanity when humanity brings itself up to God rather than God coming down to meet me. And by bringing myself up, I mean my perceptions of Him. God, I trust you. I don't know, I mean, I do. I understand how to trust God when things are going well. Like, man, God is on my side. Knuckle it up, God. Boom, favor, bam, boom, favor, blessings, boom. But when God is not fist bumping me, and I'm fist bumping raw air, and I'm praying prayers that feel dead, and I'm quoting scriptures that seem to be total opposite of what I'm experiencing, what I'm experiencing says death, pain, sorrow, tragedy, and suffering. What I read in the Bible, he's a healer. And in that duality of divinity, humanity, divinity, humanity, there's just something that, you know, pulls me to. I just don't understand it, but I trust him anyway. And Jesus got there, and then this is what it said. And with those words, I put it in pink. He breathed his last. And when I read that, I thought, that's a powerful place to be that your final statement as a human on earth was, I trust him. You're going to die. Mom, they're going to have to bury you. Mother's watching her kid who she thought was God, dead. The disciples who thought you were going to be king and take Caesar over, dead. Everybody's perceptions of you is, yeah, it didn't work. Right? We know that's true because they all go back fishing. They all run off and leave him. We even know his own mother and closest relatives didn't even believe it because the day he resurrected, they were just coming to anoint his body, not see him resurrected. So for everybody in the picture, it didn't happen the way they thought it was going to happen, but the person it was happening to said, I trust him. Me, how could you trust him when it's not happening the way we want it to happen? How can you say you trust him when you didn't kill Caesar? How can you say you trust him when, they let, when God let them beat you? How can you say you trust the Father when the Father abandoned you on this cross? So I do know as a human it's easy to accuse God. But when God says, why have you abandoned me, God? 
But then God says, I'm just going to trust you, God. It tells me that there are times in life where our questions may not get answered, but we have to trust Him anyway. We have to trust Him anyway. And maybe that's why He is God, is because a human can trust Him anyway, even when I die with questions. If you think you're going to hit death's bed and not have any more questions, you're probably fooling yourself. You may get to the deathbed and still have questions about the future and life, but if you can come to a place that you're dying last breath, you can go, you know what? I don't know everything there is to know, but I trust Him. I trust Him. So here's Jesus' prayer, and it brings me to this. How do we breathe our last? It's us. It's great to talk about Him, but here's the thought of us. To arrive at a time and place where Mark... In the middle of darkness, when Mark has felt abandoned, but I learned to trust him completely anyway, that's the place of your last breath. When you've exhausted you, your resources, your Google, your alcohol, your anger, your hurt, your bitterness, your why, 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 me, 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 why, 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 me, me, me. And you finally hit the last, why me? Maybe it's three hours later like Jesus. Maybe it's three years. Maybe it's 30 years. But you finally come to the place that you've ran every question and yet nothing has changed. You've prayed every prayer and nothing is any different. And you come to a place of going, I just trust Him. In that moment when a human can say, I trust God even though I still have questions, yet I will trust Him, that is what I call the last breath of humanity. When my questions bow to His divinity, when my hurts bow to His nature, when my pain bows to His promise. Look at this. I think it will help you the next one. To do this, because I thought that through, like, okay, that sounds good, you know. How do you breathe your last? How do you trust God? And I started running through my life um, trying to be fair about it. And I came up with this because I, I knew it to be true in my life, so I put it up. To give your last breath, and I thought about what Robin went through last year. I thought about some things I've gone through. I thought about some friends that have gone through some hard things last year that I've prayed for. I thought about some friends that went through divorce last year, some friends that went through suffering sickness last year. And I just kind of was running everybody at conversations I've had, me, Robin, family, friends, you know, just thinking. And I landed on something that was interesting. I even called my mom. I said, I want to run something by them thinking about. And, to give up your last breath requires you to discern the accusations made against you. Now ponder this. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He feels abandoned. Daddy abandoned me in my darkest hour. But he transitions to, I trust you. But in the transition from, you've abandoned me and did nothing I wanted you to do to, I trust you completely, there was a time window of accusations if you know the gospel stories 
It was the people screaming from the ground. So you say you're God, save yourself. Why don't you come off the cross? Daddy abandoned you, why don't you save? Accusations. The accusations that they're bargaining over your clothes. The accusation that everybody you preach to is no longer there. They all took tail and ran except mom and John. Everybody else left you high. Everybody you thought was for you is not for you. Everybody that thought you were all cool and it and hip when you were giving away free bread, not there at all. As a matter of fact, all the people you raised from the dead, all the people you healed, uh, the Bible intimates none of them were there either. He's alone. He's got a mother and John sitting there watching him bleed out. He's got people accusing him, throwing accusations. Save yourself. You thought you were the king. He's got two thieves on either side of him whispering into his ears. I think what it was meant to tell us is this feeling of abandonment is real because you get the accusations of life, the friends that say, how do you trust God? The times, the moments, everything is just bam, bam. Every television show you watch, every holiday, every Christmas, every birthday is a reminder of the pain. Every time you see somebody, it reminds you of the pain. You can't even enjoy life because every dream is the pain. Every thought is the pain. I don't even want to let myself enjoy life because if I enjoy it, I feel like that I've negated the pain and then it just, it just your mind just wants to blow up so when Jesus says I feel abandoned he, it's real but I trust him so this window because I want to get there myself I, sometimes I think I do and other times I feel like I'm pulled back this way and so when I'm trying to get to I trust God completely to I wonder why my prayers aren't working I'm not healed yet this has not happened yet and I got, if I don't know how to discern the voices of accusation, I'm going to flunk every time. So I'll give them to you. Let's go to what Robin read in Genesis 3. Here is what she read in the accusations. There's two of them, so I'll give them both to you. Here's the scripture. The serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals, and one day he asked the woman, and this is interesting, to show you the power of humanity versus divinity, the first mother and father who are on the planet before anybody else is ever birthed has to answer the question of humanity that we all have to answer. Did God really tell you the truth? Did God really say? She said, God said, green words at the bottom, I must not eat the fruit, even touch it. If I do, I die. Next verse says this. Oh, don't worry about that. You won't die. Put the scripture up. There it is. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened, and as soon as you eat it, you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Like in this moment, this first humanity moment, before there's a divorce, before there's problems, before there's pain, there's the accusation that God doesn't know what he's talking about. He's lied to you. He's not told you the truth. And so what happens in this moment of temptation, she does what humans do. She starts leaning on her feelings. But it looks beautiful, and her feelings become her convincing. In other words, she's no longer convinced by God's nature. Her feelings become her convincement. Convincement. I don't know, that might be a word. It felt good in the moment. She, 
her, her feelings convince her. And I hear other people out there know English like, I don't know that either. That, right? Her feelings convinced her. Now watch, her feelings slowly, in this moment of weakness, her feelings slowly became her God. What I feel must be more true than what he says. It looked beautiful. What I see must be more true than what he says. It will give me wisdom. What I think must be more true than what he says. And it shows us that in this battle of humanity, there will always be your feelings trying to become the God of your life. That your feelings are more true than his nature. And then when you say, yeah, but you tell me he's a healer, nature, but my feelings say he's not because my back still hurts, there is the accusations coming. My feelings are going haywire to try to prove this is true. And this happened to her long before it ever happened to me and you. She was convinced by herself that herself was true and God was the liar. And that's the first accusation of life as you try to understand faithfulness is that God is the liar and you are true. That's the first accusation that will be against you. God is a liar and you are true. It's all in our culture right now. The truth is you. You don't have to worry. It's stupid and naive to think that there's just a male and a female. How ignorant can you humans be? So what if there's an XXXY chromosome, science? We're way beyond science. We're into feelings now. And feelings are God. And if you try in this generation to insert God into God, you will find yourself in a war. Well, God says... So now we understand when Jesus says narrow is the way. He just simply means the reason the way is narrow is there's going to be a whole generation who are God within themselves and another group going, none of us are God. He's only God. And those two ways will clash. And it'll get more and more and more and more narrow. Because what God says is no longer true. What we feel is true. Therefore, the Bible is irrelevant for what we want. It's a good book, but it's not really what he said. It's what we think he said, and then off we go. So anytime you're in a weak moment, um, whatever, Robin's diagnosis, well, what if I die? I remember having that conversation with her. She said, I'm just scared that I'm going to die and not see my children grow old. And I had to watch her fight that weakness of what she felt in her head and her thought life, what she Googled and proved could be true with other testimonies of mothers who had died the same way that didn't make it through, and yet this God that she so genuinely trusts. And both of those women were fighting tooth and toenail. What I feel to be true versus what I know him to be true. And thank God in that battle I watched her. I tried to help her the best I could. 
to fight it with her, but I watched her slowly merge herself over to what God says about me is true. And I have to believe it, which brings me to the final thought. Genesis 3.15. This was the text of Scripture that God speaks to the serpent. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. you got to think about this moment for a minute because when we read it, we naturally assume that God is talking about Eve having Cain. The woman's seed. God must be talking about Eve because there is no other woman on the planet. So by nature, I will cause hostility between you and the woman. Humanity is, that would have to be Eve. That's even what Eve is thinking. This has to be me. Because no human could be thinking 4,000 years in the future to a woman named Mary. That doesn't even fit my equation. It doesn't even fit my understanding. So God just says it blanketly. I'm going to call hostility between you and the woman. And, you know, the natural reading would be, well, that must be Eve. But we know it wasn't Eve because Eve has Cain. And I'm sure Eve was thinking, this is going to be the boy. It's going to kill that dad-blamed serpent. God told me my children would kill the serpent. All right. Look. See that serpent? You're going to kill him one day. Oh, yes, you are. You're a little serpent killer, serpent killer, serpent. Yes, a serpent killer. That's you. God promised you would kill him. Oh, you're a little serpent killer, serpent. Look at your brother. Tell him, I'm a serpent killer. I'm a serpent killer. And then one day, serpent killer kills him. You know as a mother, what just happened? Your whole life, I have raised you to know the promises of God. I have told you he's faithful. I told you he told me you would slay the serpent. And you go and kill your brother instead of the serpent. And he looks at Adam, why did you have these children? But serpent killer didn't kill the serpent. Serpent killer killed another serpent killer. And then God comes down to the only serpent killer left and says, get out of here. You're not even going to be near the serpent. You're going to wander your whole life. And now Eve, he has to be a liar. Because he told me my boys would kill the serpent. And they didn't. He's a liar. I know he's a liar. You know she's hearing it in her head. You're a failure. God, you can't trust God. The serpent's still speaking to her, even though he's not in the tree anymore. He's speaking to her. He's lying to her. Thank God something about this woman said, Well, I think I'm going to have another serpent killer. And out pops Seth. <laughs> I don't even want to sing this stupid song anymore. You are a serpent killer. Oh, serpent killer, serpent you are, see that serpent killer? And little Seth grows up. Little Seth's like 10. Come on, we're going to go look at the serpent killer. Look at him. Point your finger at him. Tell him. Go ahead and tell him. One day, I'm going to get you, little serpent. Tell him. <laughs> Do it with her. Growl. I'm going to get you, little serpent. She raises him. Push-ups. Throws rocks. I'm raising a serpent killer. 
He grows up into an adult. She has other babies and other children, but she's got one serpent killer on the planet. He's going to be it. God promised me my kid would kill the serpent. And every year they get together for birthdays and they sit around the table and little Mama E's like, who's killed the serpent yet? They're like, not me, Mom. Not me either, Mom. Well, one day, some of you are going to kill him. I just know it. And she shows them a picture of the serpent. This is him. Kill him. Right? That's my speculation. It had to be a good family. That's what I'd be telling my kids. One of you. And then it comes time for her death. She's old. She's laying on her deathbed. She's in her 900s, and she leans over to her husband. Oh, God, what a life to live to be 900. Who a hundred's hard, 800 more years. You imagine how many little serpent killers are running around after 800 years? I'm a serpent killer. No, I'm a serpent killer. Ah, join our club, we're serpent killers. Right, they all got little, oh, just weird, right? Make little uniforms for each other. 900 years, she's on her deathbed. She looks at her husband. Honey, yes, dear? What, honey? Did any of our kids ever kill that serpent? No, honey. None of them yet. But God told me that our kids would kill the serpent. Ah, yeah, I know, sweetheart, but he's still here. And, and listen, listen. No, no, you listen. I don't know, because that's what any woman would say dying, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to get the last word I am. <laughs> He's got to be married to appreciate that. <laughs> Listen. I don't know what's going on. And I don't know why my boys at 900 years of life have not crushed him. And then her eyes open. And out of Eve's mouth comes, I don't know, but I trust him. Well, how powerful that must be when on your dying bed everything God promised you never came true, but you trusted in Him anyway. It almost feels like God is a liar. She died. Her kids never did. She never got to see it. She never got to watch the serpent die. She died on her deathbed with none of the promises of God being fulfilled. Therefore, my humanity says He must be a liar. Because he didn't do what I, he told me he would do while I was still alive. And I died a horrible death of never seeing the promises of God fulfilled in none of my children. I never got to see the glory. And then I don't know if this is what it goes because I don't know where Eve went when she died. I don't know if she's in the ethereal world of the spirit. But I could only imagine with my imagining brain on one day when the Father God says, Gabriel, come here. Yes? Look, I need you to go down there to that woman. What woman? That woman right there. And I need you to tell her that the Son of God is coming to crush the head of the serpent. Whew. I wonder what Eve thought when she's in that spirit world. And she may have died feeling like he didn't tell me the truth, but all of a sudden she hears an angel come out of heaven. And in the spirit realm, she's like, well, what just happened? 
And they start chatting with each other. And he's like, Eve, you're not going to believe this, but you remember that promise you keep telling us about all the time? Um, uh, dude, this is weird. It's about to, it's about to happen. 4,000 years beyond the promise, the Son of God comes to the planet Earth. And it wasn't a lie. It was true. I just never saw the truth in my experiences, but it didn't change the nature of who he was. He was always the truth teller. But I died without my children. I know, Eve, hang on, I still tell the truth. But I thought, I know you thought you're a human, but I'm God and I still tell the truth. And the reality of life is you may die and not get every prayer answered, but I'm still a prayer answering God. Pray to me anyway. Don't ever give up. I want to put a picture of Sam on the screen. He's not here today or otherwise I'd embarrass him. He's on the beach. Look at Sam, how cute. Oh, God, I already know what I'm going to say. Just... Sam is a seven, was a 17-year meth addict. Ruining his life, screwing his life over, screwing his family over because he's addicted to meth. Sam now comes to Believer's Church. Sam gave his heart to Jesus. Sam got spirit-filled. Sam's marriage was saved. And as I was getting to know Sam and Sam's story, Sam came up and said, you know why I'm here? I said, God, I don't know, man. I don't have a clue. He said, my grandmom prayed for me every day that I would get born again. And I said, well, thank God you are. He said, you know what hurts me is that she died and never saw it. I wonder how much faith we have that we would die praying a prayer that we never see. Grandmama died while Sam was still a meth addict. Grandmama died still trusting God to save her boy. Grandmama died going, if you can save anybody, save Sam. If you can save anybody. And on her dying deathbed, is Sam saved? No, he's not. He's still running. Okay. But I trust him anyway. Closes her eyes and enters into eternity. Gets up into eternity. There's Jesus. Man, I appreciate all those prayers for that boy. He's a nutcase. I've been working hard. Thank you for trusting me. And guess what we're about to do? What are we going to do? I'm going to answer all those prayers you prayed. I'm sending an angel right now to capture his heart. I'm sending the spirit to capture his heart. How do you feel about that, mama? I knew you would never let me down. I knew I could trust you. I died trusting you. Thank you. A lot of people die thinking I've done them dirty. A lot of people die thinking I don't answer prayers. A lot of people die thinking I don't care about them and don't protect them and don't heal them. I care about all of them. Thank you for praying. Let's go save your boy. 
And there he sits in our church because grandmama... <laughs> Because she would never give up on trusting God. So would you bow your heads? I have no better way to end than to say sometimes we enter eternity and it feels like God lied to us. Sometimes we bump into things down here that feel like he had to lie to me. My wife left me, my child, my husband, my our humanity becomes strong. Our humanity's screaming. Our humanity's accusing us. It's telling you that God's a liar, that God doesn't care about you, that God has abandoned you, that God didn't heal your marriage. Your wife divorced you anyway. Your, God doesn't care about your prayers. God, 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 you, 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 you. And I would just like to encourage you today. I wish I had every answer that you go through, an answer for you. I'm wishing your weakness, I had an easy answer. But I would love to leave you with this today. Don't ever throw in the towel. Don't ever quit trusting God. He is faithful. You can bow your eyes and close your breath and on your dying bed still have 72 prayers that are unanswered. But that doesn't mean he's not going to answer them. Breathe your last breath and go, I don't know, but I trust him. I don't know why, but I trust him. And I'm going to die trusting him. And I'm not going to give up down here praying. And I'm not going to give up serving him. I'm not going to let my humanity cause me to quit. I'm just going to be smart enough to know I don't know everything there is to know. But I know you can trust him. And I will choose to trust him. And until my last breath is a human on this planet... I will die on this planet saying, I trusted my heavenly Father. And if you do that, He is just and true. He is faithful and kind. He is all-knowing, all-loving, all-caring. And there won't be one human that steps into His presence that feels ripped off. Not one human that steps into his presence and says, I feel like you lied to me. He knows what he's doing. Mother, don't quit praying. Father, don't quit praying. Grandmother, don't quit praying. Grandfather, don't quit praying. Your children may be as rebellious as the day is long. Don't quit praying. Everything around you may be screaming, God is a liar. Don't quit praying. Trust him. He's trustworthy and true. I don't know who that's for, but I feel like somebody just needs to ignite your soul. Don't you dare throw in the towel. You may have been praying 10 years and nothing, doodly squat, nothing. Keep on anyway. Keep trusting Him anyway. Keep fighting the battle. Be like Eve. Die on your dying bread, still believing your children are going to be serpent killers. Be like Sam's mother, grandmother on your dying bed, still praying a prayer, even though you have not one proof God heard it. Go out of this life going, I don't know, but I'm praying and trusting. And who knows what kind of legacy you'll leave behind? Who knows what kind of power you will leave behind? This generation needs men and women who trust the Lord, 
men and women who are willing to fight for it, men and women who are say, I don't know, but I trust him anyway. Men and women who are willing to say, well, I don't know, but here's what he says. I'm going to go with what he says every time. I can't define where this world is heading, but I know what God says. I'm going to line up with God. And if I line up with God, he's always right. And if he's always right, it'll be all right. Now, that's going to be a narrow road in the weeks and months ahead. That's going to be a narrow road to the generation that's coming down this pipeline. But let's don't sell them a fake God. Let's don't sell them a God that's a God of their own emotions and their own feelings. If we're going to fight this thing, we're going to die for it. Let's go out swinging. That He is faithful. He is just. He is true. He is everything He says He is. And we're going to, we're going to believe it. Would you stand with me if you will? Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.